Hi, and welcome back to another edition of NFL Game Time Podcast with your hosts, I'm Alex Rubinson. And I'm Shai Dweck. The free agency frenzy is right around the corner as we've already seen a couple players reach extensions like Dak Prescott. Trades have already gone down like Trent Brown. We're going to get to all that, go over some of the key players who were franchise tagged and so much more. So Shai, let's get right into it because it's game time. So, Shai, let's start off with probably the biggest story so far this offseason, and that was Dak Prescott agreeing to a four-year, a whopping $160 million deal. $126 million of that is guaranteed. It averages out to $40 million per year, which would put him right in line for second highest in the NFL, only trailing Patrick Mahomes. Shai, we kind of discussed this uh, before the podcast, and I know you had some strong thoughts, so I'll let, I'll let you kind of kick us off here. Yeah, Alex. Um, I'll, try to, I'll try to contain myself, but I, I really do think this was a mistake for the Dallas Cowboys for multiple reasons. And before I start, I'm not a Dak Prescott hater, per se. I just call it like I see it. I, I, I think he's a good player. I think his work ethic shows... You know, becoming four, from a fourth-round pick to now a good NFL, solid NFL quarterback. But with that being said, he's not worthy of $40 million. I think everyone knows that. And there's this assumption, you have to pay what the market dictates. I, I think, you know, that's total baloney, in my opinion. I think if you have a player that's truly a great player, and maybe he's worth a little bit less as a great quarterback, okay, you pay him a little bit. But Dak Prescott is a good quarterback, not a great quarterback. And I'm going to quote Dan Orlovsky here. I think it's a great quote. The Dallas Cowboys could not afford to pay a good player great money. And when I look at their team, I, I don't see a team that's contending. Alex, I think you may disagree with me on this, but I see an offensive line that's been consistently banged up. There's talent there, but really there's been struggles. The receiving core is good. Ezekiel Elliott's coming off a down year. Not to say he's not a good running back, but you're paying him a lot of money. You're paying him to be one of the best running backs in the NFL. I, I, defense, so I just I will say both Amari Cooper and Ezekiel Elliott's deal, I believe there are, there are outs in both those deals as soon as next year where most, if not all, that guaranteed money is shoved out the door. So that does provide some flexibility if you want to move on from those players to make room for Dak's contract along with bringing in new players especially to help a defense that was abysmal last last season so I just want to throw that out there that in some of these other big contracts there are outs in those contracts upcoming I understand that but these are two star offensive players and the fact that you had to put yourself in this position to you know compromise those great players to probably two of the best players on your team you know, for, for Dak Prescott because you're paying him that much money. You put yourself in that position to have to make that that make that choice when you really shouldn't have. And then you mentioned the abysmal defense. There's a lot of holes there. And they have some cap space, but not a ton. It's gonna be really hard to address those needs in my opinion. And there are a lot of them. I, I think that and then when you look at when this team was healthy, when, you know, during Dak's, when Dak was on his rookie contract, when they had all that talent, 
They won one playoff game, Alex. Their Dak Prescott does not strike me as being a dynamic playmaker. In when the moment gets tough, when the moment gets tough, you know, Dak, you know, doesn't doesn't seem to shine. In my opinion, I don't see someone who can elevate the level of play of his teammates. And now you could say, well, look what happened after he left. I think that's because there was abysmal play after him. Dak's not an abysmal quarterback. You know, he's a good quarterback. But in my opinion, he's probably top 15. I don't think he's top 10. But, and you cannot pay a top 15 quarterback that type of money, in my opinion. So I think what you do, Alex, is you either take this year with, you know, a bridge quarterback, a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, a guy like Jameis Winston, who could get for cheaper, I think could possibly even be a long-term fit. I think he's learned a thing or two uh, in New Orleans under Sean Payton. Um, and, or, or a guy possibly like Jacoby Brissett, I think he'd be interesting to give a chance to. Or you can move up in the draft. I realize that could cost some draft capital, but I think you know to move up those couple spots, if you want to get a shot at those guys, or you can trade back and get a guy like Mac Jones. So I think he can come in and be a starter. Right I don't now. know. Trading, um, if you want Mac Jones, I don't know if you're going to be able to trade back. Right. You don't have to trade back, or you could take him at 11. I don't hate that. I Ten. think the Cowboys had options, and instead they put themselves in a, in a place where they're trying to compete when they're really not in a position to do so, and it's just not flexible there. You, In addition to that, you have a quarterback where I'm questioning whether even he, I know he's good, but is he great enough to elevate the level of play of his teammates to really go and get Super Bowls? I don't think so, Alex. So, I think I agree with you for the most part. But I'm a little, I guess, more optimistic on several points you made. So, first of all, you said Dak Prescott, you have him in your top 15. I do think he is a top 10 quarterback. I do think... You know, he has proven to be a top 10 quarterback. Now, I'm not going to put him in the top 5 to 6 range. So, I think he's more in that uh, later, you know, 2-3 range in the top 10. But I do think he is a top 10 quarterback. I will say this, though. I would not have paid him $40 million a year. $40 million a year should be reserved for players like Patrick Mahomes, like Deshaun Watson, like even Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. I'm not paying Dak Prescott forty million a year for a lot of the reasons Shai just mentioned. I guess one of the biggest is he's won one playoff game. Now, I want to see my quarterback do more. I want to see him win more, win on the biggest stage more than Dak has done in his career. Secondly, Shai, you don't think these are the Cowboys are contenders whatsoever. I don't think they're going to win a Super Bowl within the next few years but I think and that's partly also due to an NFC that's actually pretty crowded at the top with Tampa and you know Seattle if they keep Russell Wilson they'll always be competitive Green Bay obviously you know even New Orleans possesses a pretty good all-around team although we'll see what you know what they do at the quarterback position I do think though this is a Cowboys team that is good enough to obviously win a NFC East that was historically bad last season but also possibly do some amount of damage in the playoffs. I do think this is a team capable of winning one or two playoff games. Obviously, get into the playoffs, win a playoff game. You never know what can happen from there. 
But I, I don't think it, it's a Super Bowl team, but I think this could be a consistent playoff team over the next three to four years, over the course of Dak's new deal. Then going to the defense. That, as terrible as they were last year, you would have to think they'd be better. For one reason, there's nowhere else to go but up. And then there's too much talent on that defense. Jalen Smith, Leighton Vander Esch, Demarcus Lawrence. There's too much talent on that defense to, to be that bad. Now, they do have to upgrade the secondary. But I don't know about you, Shot. I actually do like Trayvon Dix. Not as a corner one. I don't want him guarding, you know, Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, DK Metcalf. I don't want him guarding some of the better receivers, you know, Devontae Adams, some of the better receivers in the NFC, or in the NFL for that matter. But I do think he can be a really solid cornerback too in the NFL. Dan Quinn, obviously his tenure with Atlanta did not end well. But this is a guy who has, you know, he showed something with Seattle. He has been, you know, he has experience. So maybe he can, you know, start turning things around for that Dallas defense. But Dallas did screw this up. They should have paid him two years ago when the value would have been more in the probably the 30 to 32 million range. And they should have paid him well before any of the other guys they paid. Lyle Collins, Amari Cooper, Jalen Smith, Ezekiel Elliott. Dak had to be the first one paid, partly because he's the quarterback, partly because of he is that leader of the team, and I believe he is a very good leader at that. But the Cowboys messed this up. Because we've seen, we've seen with Dak as a perfect example that with every year Dak continued to prove himself, the price tag went up. And you factor in now that he plays quarterback, it goes up more than any other position. So although I do agree with you, Shai, that $40 million a year for someone of Dak's caliber is too rich for my blood, I think I'm more open about the contract and open about possibly where this Dallas team could go under Dak than you are. But at the same time, over these next four years, I, I do not see Dallas winning a championship Again, I think they could make one or two runs in the postseason. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, it's so there's so many things that also have to go your way that are really out of your control to win a Super Bowl. And I just don't think those all the stars are going are going to align for Dallas uh, over over the course of Dak's contract. Yeah, you mentioned some of those <laughs> other teams in the NFC and when I look at the Dallas Cowboys they're nothing compared to those teams, in my opinion. I, I don't see a comp- much of a competition. I, I, you know, that's why I just don't think... And the ultimate goal is to win the Super Bowl. If you're trying to accomplish anything less, you're a dysfunctional franchise. Not to say that the Cowboys are or aren't. In my opinion, I think they are one of the more dysfunctional franchises in the league because, as you mentioned, they consistently have talent and they consistently squander it. And the argument that they have too much talent to, you know, be this bad doesn't work for me anymore. Maybe a few years ago. A couple of years ago, that defense it. was good, though. A couple of years ago, that defense was very good. But but where did the team go? Well, I think that's, that's kind of the new the breath of fresh air with Dan Quinn coming in as the coach. And I'm assuming they're going to make 
reinforcements along that defense. Their cap situation, you know, it's not what it's not what Jacksonville or what the Jets situation is, but it's also not what the Saints or Rams situation is. It's actually sitting pretty well where they can go make a couple reinforcements in free agency where, you know, you don't have to break the bank. They do have the 10th overall pick where you possibly could draft one of the two big corners in Caleb Farley or Patrick Sertan. Dallas has the ammo to go out and make a few moves. And I believe if Dan Quinn can kind of bring that clean slate, breath of fresh air, and coach to his capabilities the way I think he can, this Dallas defense, I'm not going to say they're they're not going to be a top 10 defense, I'm saying, but I definitely think this could be a respectable defense if they take if they live up to expectations, and I know that's a lot to ask, especially from a Dallas Cowboys team that failed to do that over, what, really since they won the Super Bowl, you know, what, 25, 26 years ago. But I do think that this Dallas defense, I I would be not shocked, but I would be fairly surprised if they were that bad, as bad as last year. If they're that bad this year, I will. I would be fairly surprised. I think that I think we will see. I don't know how much improvement, but I think we will see growth and improvement from that unit. They may get better some, but there are still many holes on that team, and I think when you're kind of you know looking at their history and the fact that they've had the talent and haven't gone anywhere, and that comes down to management, right? I say co- I, I, I'd say coaching more management. Coach, you know, Manage- coaching, management, however you want to put it, I think those two things are not, you know. Well, management, exactly. I consider management, I consider front office, drafting, signing, and we're saying that with a lot of talent. So I think it's management's job, in my mind, to gather talent, and then it's the coaches to put that talent together and provide a successful product on the gridiron. So in my mind, management's actually done a fine job in collecting talent. It's up to the coaching staff, which Mike McCarthy was horrendous last year, and I. You know, I would not have been surprised if he was one and done. So I think this could be a make or break year for him. But it's up to the coaching, I'd say, more than the management. At least I associate management with more front That's office. That's fair, but there's a culture around the Dallas Cowboys of underachievement. That's that's what's happened. There's no denying that. And I just don't see, you know, especially comparing it to the other NFC powerhouses, I don't see a way where they can really compete for Super Bowls by making this move. That that's really that's really all uh, all I've got to say. I think I've uh, I rest my case. And again, I think paying Dak forty million a year is again too rich for my blood. But he does provide this level of certainty at the most premium position in all the sports, in my mind. And saying, oh yeah, just you know, trade up a few spots, sign a bridge quarterback, develop a rookie quarterback, and he'll be just as good. That's. Uh, that's, I think, just a little. That you're you're trying to. There's a lot of things have to go right for that for that plan to succeed. A lot of things have to go right for their current plan to succeed, Alex. I'd say, I'd say and, less things. And with my plan, you have actual flexibility. Cap wise, they have some. I they have flexibility. They have some flexibility this year, but again, starting next year, they can get out of some of these big bigger contracts with very little to no dead cap. Dallas has done a decent job negotiating around that around the salary cap, especially next year with the TV deals coming into play, because those are coming and that's gonna the cap is going to grow exponentially with those new TV deals. 
I, I think that's right, but I think you saw, you know, who, how many players that Jerry Jones chose to pay before Dak Prescott. And that that so was a mistake. And as I said, that was that was a huge mistake because then you were paying him what a good eight to ten million less per year than you are now. That's what it cost you. And no, I think and uh, I think we all know that. I think we tend to agree. I think I think you classify it. You're a little more optimistic than I am because my goal is to do the best thing to eventually have a chance to win Super Bowls. And I think that should be every team's goal. That's probably what, what you would evaluate as well. But I think that with this move, there's not – you're not putting yourself in the best position in the long run to do so. Yeah, so I think we obviously have a slight disagreement there. But I think at the end of the day, we both are very skeptical of the $40 million per year – that, I mean, good for Dak. I will say that. You know, good for Prescott. I mean, you know, hopefully he has uh, a full recovery from his injury and we get to see him on the football field next year. How do we forget his injury? You're paying him not only, you know, if he wasn't injured, $40 million a year, but he's coming off of, of, of a fairly significant injury. It's not saying it's career-ending, career-altering, but anytime you come off of an injury of that caliber... You, there, there has to be some concern. I sorry, I have to throw that out there because I, I, I think we'd be remiss if we did not mention. It. No, and I think there definitely is some concern. I will, I'll, I'll add this though. I don't think there are any better people that know Dak Prescott in terms of his rehab and where he is than the Dallas Cowboys and their medical staff. That's a fair point. I'm just, I just think it adds to kind of the case that we were making that this is a little, you know, this. I mean, in, in frankly, in my opinion, borders on absurdity. <sighs> okay, so that that's going to do it for the Dak Prescott uh, topic. So, Shai, this kind of happened a while ago, but we never really got a chance to talk about it, offer our thoughts. But J.J. Watt signed a two-year, $31 million deal with the Arizona Cardinals. $23 million of that deal is guaranteed. I was surprised. I really thought it was coming down to the Bills, the Browns, the Packers obviously seem to be involved, especially that's, you know, that being where Watt grew up. He went to Wisconsin for college. Carter surprised me. And obviously, you know, 30, this deal was a lot though. And, you know, you know, you know how J.J. Watt, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's one of the better uh, defensive ends really over the last you know, a couple decades, but fifteen and a half million for a guy who he's really battled injuries over the course of his career, and seems to be on a bit of a decline. Fifteen again, he got cut by Houston. You know, Houston saved seventeen and a half million, and I know you know maybe he wanted out or whatever, but that seemed like a no brainer from Houston's part, just to begin with, whether he wanted out or not. So fifteen and a half million, that seemed a lot for a guy who, you know, he's not prime J.J. Watt anymore, and he's not close to that. Yeah, I I think, I I think you know, there's there's kind of this uh, this sentiment that J.J. believes in Kyler, he believes in the Arizona Cardinals, you know, chances to, you know, really make a punch next year, and maybe he does, but maybe they were, you know, Offering the most money, Alex, because as you said, that's a lot for a guy who's not in his prime, who 
has had some significant injuries in his career and of late. So, and also, you know, I, I get, you know, there's more than stats, but, you know, he hasn't been as dominant. Just going to say it. He's still a great player, but he's not that in, that kind of game-wrecking dominant force, in my opinion. He's close to it, but I he's not quite that anymore. So I think it's a little, it's a lot of money, and I think that's part of the reason why he took that. But it, but just to clarify, just to make it clear, Arizona, it's a good signing for them. It's a great signing for them. They can take that defense in this pass rush to the next level and start. And frankly, I think they're going to be a playoff team next year because of that, because of how dynamic their defense could potentially be next year. You know, as they build for the draft and continue to build for three free agency. I, I'm excited about the Arizona Cardinals next season. So it's a two-year deal, so it's not long-term. So I have, I have a question for you, Shai. For a two-year deal at around $15.5 million per year, would you rather have signed J.J. Watt, a guy who's getting up there in age, probably on you know the back nine of his career, or bring back Hassan Reddick at that price? Again, maybe it's a bit of a higher a- annual value, but it's you know, short, pretty short-term, two years. And Redick is more, he's much younger and a guy who seems to be just hitting his prime. We're, do you agree that where Arizona went? Because now Redick is, obviously Redick's not coming back and he's going to hit free and see and cash in somewhere else. But do you think Arizona was right to give that deal to J.J. Watt rather than Hassan Redick, who I think at this point in their respective careers, Redick provides more upside? I think you you classified that well. I think that I I think they made the right decision, but I don't think you could have necessarily went wrong. Uh, I wouldn't have blamed you either way. I personally I think that Hassan Reddick hasn't has really only had one year of great production, and that makes me a little skeptical. Um, he's been solid, but this is his, was only this one year where he was like really great really producing, um, becoming dynamic. And J.J. has shown that. We, you know the type of the entity that he is, the leader that he can be for that passers and that defense and provide that veteran presence. I know he's had those injuries. I know you know he's not as dominant as I've mentioned. But even at that price, I will still take on the on – the, again, they're both on two-year deals, which, you know – Maybe if they would have chosen Hassan Reddick, they would have signed him for longer. But in this scenario, they're both the same. So I would, uh, I would lean JJ Watt. Interesting. I might go Reddick to be honest. I, I now look. I'm with you in terms of he's only had one great year, and that's why I stress the idea of it's a two year deal because I definitely could see him in free agency end up cashing in on a three or even a four year deal, and then at that price, that's where I would go Watt. But if we are talking about a one or two year deal, shorter term deal, I think I would go Reddick and try to bank on that upside and that youth of Reddick and him coming into his prime. Again, I think the Cardinals may have overpaid a tad for what, but I do like this deal for Arizona. As you said, the veteran presence, I think that really will help that Cardinals team take the next step on a team that, you know, is pretty devoid of veterans or players who have made deep playoff runs, have had experiences doing a whole bunch of things and going through a whole bunch of roller coaster rides through the NFL like J.J. Watt has. But, so I, I think the Cardinals, I think they're a fringe playoff team. 
especially in an NFC that I think is very crowded, and especially that division. That's the best division in football, and I think, you know, obviously, Seattle, I, they're not going to trade Russell Wilson this year, I don't think. Maybe next year, but not this year. The Rams with Stafford, I think, are going to be much improved. And we forgot, the Niners were in the Super Bowl a year ago, and you know, obviously they had a bunch of injuries, so we don't know how Garoppolo and Bosa, we don't know how they're going to bounce back, but, you know, I, I would think they would still be a solid team. Now, I'm not going to say that the Cardinals are the worst team in their division, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to see them finishing last in their division. Now, there's also a scenario where all four teams can make the playoffs, which actually, I don't think actually that would surprise many as shy. I see you shaking your head. But I was, or nodding your head, excuse me. Um, I do, at the same time, I think if Watt, you know, I think if Watt's first priority was truly to win a Super Bowl, or at least make a deep, deep playoff run, I think there were better teams out there for those services, whether it was the Packers, whether it was the Bills, whether it was the Browns. I, I think the Browns are more equipped to go on a deep playoff run at this point in their uh, in their process than the Cardinals are. Now, look, I like the Cardinals. I like Kyler Murray. I think the jury's still on Cliff Kingsbury, though. I don't know. I still don't think we know if the Cardinals have the right man for their head coaching job. But, you know, again, good for J.J. Watt, you know, reuniting with uh, wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins. Look, the Cardinals, where, wherever they finish, whether they win the division and go on this deep playoff run or finish in last and miss the playoffs, they're going to be one of the more fun teams to watch in the NFL, starting with the pass rushing duo of Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt, and obviously the young phenom quarterback in Kyler Murray. Yeah, I mean, back to what you were saying, you know, I think he took that deal for the most part for the money, a competitive team, but, you know, they were willing to pay him. And then, you know, second of all, I, in my opinion, I think four teams out of the NFC West will make the playoffs. Is that your as of now? I see it now. That's is that's that your early I, off season bold prediction for a that's four my team? Early, and I don't personally think it's that bold, but yes, it's my early off season uh, prediction. Yeah. So hey, that'd be fun. Obviously, last year with the extra wild card teams, the first year possibly could happen, and people weren't ruling it out. And then, obviously, the Niners had all their injuries, and it kind of threw things out of whack in that division, but that, that'll, in my opinion, be the most competitive division, but I think, the, you know, you have Russell Wilson, you have Stafford, you have the Niners coming back from the injuries, and the Cardinals on this team up and coming. The NFC West will also be the most fun division to watch. And you don't always get that with the most competitive, but they'll they'll be the most competitive and they'll be the most fun. And that you know that division, I feel like if you're a fan, just kind of lay back and have some popcorn and, and enjoy the season. I guess unless you're a team in the in that, or unless if you're a fan of a team in that division, you're probably going to be stressed out all season long. So, Shai, let's turn now to the New England Patriots, who made a couple of notable moves this past week and let's begin with the one that seemed to grab more headlines cam newton is returning on a one-year deal that essentially there's five million guaranteed you know there's some like per game roster you know per game bonuses 
that, you know, if if he's, like, on the roster playing, he'll make. So he'll probably get those. Uh, essentially, though, it's $5 million guaranteed with the chance to make up to $14 million in incentives. I like this deal for the Patriots. I know you are a lot more pessimistic on this deal than I am. But, you know, I think you got to look at that guarantee number of $5 million, and I just don't see that much risk involved here. The Patriots, in a year where the cap got completely kind of compressed and there's not much money out there, the Patriots are one of the few teams that have a lot of money to spend. So $5 million guaranteed for a player of Cam Newton's caliber, I like that. I also don't think Cam Newton is going to be handed the job. And I don't think it's going to be him versus Jared Stidham again for the job either. I think whether it's through the draft and a rookie, whether it's a veteran like, I don't know, Jacoby Brissett, I think there's going to be some serious competition for Cam Newton to, you know, to, for that starting job. So, again, I think I viewed this as another low-risk deal looking at that guaranteed figure. And I'm thinking, again, he's not going to be handed the keys to the kingdom of this organization. And also, I do think that the Patriots, they're going to be aggressive, whether it's on the quarterback market or surrounding the quarterback with weapons. I think this overall Patriots team is going to be better and better suited, you know, to help a quarterback of any nature, uh, you know, including a guy like Cam Newton. So I know I think you're probably a little more down on this move than I am. But again, I just don't see that much risk involved here. It's not necessarily risk. It's you shouldn't be playing quarterback in the National Football League. He sh- he should not be a starting quarterback. That's just my view. I'll on say it. that there's no guarantee he'll be the starting quarterback in the Patriots come Week One. That's fine. I just don't think I I, I you know and it pains me to say it because Cameron was really really good, but he you know when he was in his prime in Carolina, but that shoulder injury I think just clearly took a hit. He cannot throw the football, you know, with with any sort of, you know... Accuracy? Accuracy. There's not precision. a lot of... Precision. Precision, velocity. There's just not, it's not a lot there. It, it looks weak. It, and their passing game will never be legit with Cam Newton there. Unless he miraculously is able to heal that shoulder, which I find extremely improbable. He's just not someone who I think is worth having on a roster. I mean, I just don't think he gives you a chance to win. I look at almost, I look at a ton of quarterbacks in this free agent class, and I'm thinking, you know, these are guys that I'd likely rather have. Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, Alex Smith, Jacoby Brissett, even Mitch Trubisky, Tyrod Taylor, you know, Jameis Winston. Uh, I mean, I, I can name a few others. Those are just some names, you know, they come to my mind. Jacoby Brissett is a reunion. And I think they could bring one of those guys in to compete with Cam Newton for the starting job. Again, I don't think they're done adding to the quarterback room. I think there's going to be more competition than there was for Newton last year. And I think that's fair. I think they will bring in competition. Um, I just don't feel comfortable with Cam Newton potentially being a starter. Like, even the potential... like. The potential of it is not something that appeals to me remotely, and I, I think you said the guarantee was was five million. Essentially, I think that it's a really like one but, and a, basically that's what the most likely output I feel like his salary will be is five million. 
the most likely. But you can say there's some roster bonuses that he'll likely get. Does that not bump it to eight million? Am I mistaken there? No, no, no. That that includes the five. That's included in the five million. That's included. Okay, so there's a lot of incentives there, which it's likely. Not- it's nine million in incentives, and those incentives are more of him winning an award or the Patriots making the playoffs. The, it's kind of those incentives uh, which make up the rest of the fourteen million. That's fair, and you know part of the reason I think I'm, this this move frustrates me because I think the Patriots can be good next year. I think they can be a playoff team next year in the AFC. I think they're getting a ton of opt outs back. They have the money to retool and, and get a quarterback weapons. They just need, you know, the right guy under center. And Cam Newton, I don't think, should be, you know, in contention for that, frankly. I, I, I feel like such like a like a hater just ripping on Cam Newton like this, but that's just how I feel. And it, it's not necessarily his fault. I mean, injury happens, you know, but at a certain point, you have to acknowledge the, the reality of the situation. And I don't think he gives them, you know, for a guy who threw – eight touchdown passes last season I, I i it doesn't make sense i i don't think to to give to give him this kind of opportunity even if it's it's relatively low risk i i think it's better to go in a different direction i think you can get a guy you know one of the other names i mentioned for relatively similar price maybe paying a couple a few more million a year but i take that every day of the week and i think you can potentially get a guy like Mac Jones in the draft. I, they could potentially still do that. So I I, I I'm I don't it's not so much that I um I really hate what the Patriots did. I just don't think Cam Newton can make your team super competitive. And that's the problem that I have with the team that in New England is always looking to win football games. I don't think this Cam Newton move excludes them from making any other move regarding the quarterback position. So if they like Mac if I they agree. like Mac Jones, I think there's and he's available, they're gonna take Mac Jones. They're not gonna say, oh well, should we draft this guy or should we sign this guy because we have Cam. They're gonna I don't think this will force them to do anything or it's more of a fallback option, some security that, you know, if if there isn't that opportunity, we do have Cam Newton sitting, you know, as our acting quarterback right now. But again, I would be very surprised if they don't make any other moves regarding that premium position that is quarterback. And kind of just one last thought. Cam Newton played pretty well, and that Patriots overall team was playing really well at the beginning of the season. And then Cam got COVID, and it kind of threw, you know, very beginning of the season, as Shy is reminding me. And then Cam got COVID, and the whole season kind of spiraled out of control. It, you know, we don't know how much COVID had an effect on Cam. It seems like it did for a good chunk of the season. Maybe he rushed back, and then everything kind of snowballed. But he did. Newton obviously has to play much better than he did for, uh, than, than he closed out the season. But there were games that, you know, the there were winnable games that the Patriots kind of. Let's slip away. And again, this was a team that still went 7-9, and nine, which is not good. But, you know, you, there were two or three games that I thought were very winnable and the Patriots, I thought, had in their grasp that they could not finish, which is rare, saying that about a Bill Belichick-led team. So, Shy, that wasn't the only move the Patriots made over this past week. They also traded for Trent Brown, who had his best year with the Patriots back in 2018, 
Trent Brown was a failed experiment in uh, with the Raiders, and I remember the moment that deal was reported where he signed that four years, sixty six million, and I was thinking, oh my, what what are the Raiders doing? I mean, I knew he was a good tackle in New England, but he's had one good year, and you know that kind of proved to be the case. Patriots are also getting a seventh round pick in two thousand twenty two, not this year, but next year. In return, the Raiders are getting a fifth round pick for uh, Trent Brown in that seventh. I actually like this deal for both teams. First off, I like it for the Patriots because you get a guy back who's had success in your building, who you've got, who you know, you know what makes him click, you know what gets him going, you know why he succeeded. And then for the Raiders' point of view, it was looking like they may have had to cut him. And... I mean, just a massive contract, so they it was looking like they may have had to cut him, get nothing in return. So now you do get at least something in return. So I do think the Patriots might be slight winners here, but given the circumstance and situation that the Raiders were in, I also thought think getting a pick, you know, in return is I guess that's kinda almost good enough for the Raiders. I also had Trent Brown he had around two years, $30 million left on his deal. He restructured that, so it's now just a one-year deal worth $11 million. So I just want to throw out there that the Patriots also uh, cut down his deal both in years and money. So, Shai, what are kind of your thoughts on both sides of this trade? We agree completely. <laughs> I didn't think I would say that today, but we do. Um Trent Brown, I think, can still be a very good tackle for the New England Patriots and solidify that offensive line, which I think is extremely underrated and good. You know, you you, you have guys in Isaiah Wynn, Michael Owen Wynn, new, you know, uh, David well, Andrews. Joe Tooney be was that. the be- Joe Tooney was the best guy probably on that line, but he's going to be a free agent, so they're not going to uh, bring him back. Right. Yeah. But they they still have they still have. Uh, you know, guys in that offensive line, you know, Shaq Mason there. Really, that, that the, the, the hole was, you know, kind of at right tackle. Marcus Cannon wasn't really, you know, cutting it. And I think to get a guy you know who can succeed in your system to solidify that offensive line, you know, you're paying him a decent chunk, but it's, again, one year, and, you you know, you have the money. I, I really like this move for New England to solidify that line, kind of, you know, check that box of the guy that you feel confident in and the Raiders, you know, this is a guy you might have to cut. He was not playing well. I think it makes sense to get some value for him. So I pretty much uh, agree with you on all accounts, and especially, like, the move for New England, because now they have a if you can feel confident um, with that offensive line and to get a guy under center, whether that is, you know, Cam Newton again or, you know, a younger quarterback uh, to build around. I feel like we need to talk about the Raiders and their management led by John Gruden and Mike Mayock. Tyrell Williams, LaMarcus Joyner, Trent Brown, all cut this year, all big signings just two years ago. The Raiders have not hit on any free agents. And then you look at, what, their first-round pick a couple years ago, Cleveland Furl. You know, they had the—I loved the Amari Cooper trade at the time. They got a first for him, and then they got two firsts for Cleo Mack, and— uh, you know, Damon Arnett, Jonathan Abram, Josh Jacobs. They've had a ton of draft capital. This has been this has been one of the, the over the last I say two years, 
there's not a team that's maybe had more draft capital than the Raiders. And I feel like they've squandered so many precious opportunities to upgrade their roster at premium positions, at key areas, and they squandered to do so in both the draft and free agency. The Raiders, the, look, Mike Mayock was great for NFL Network. I always enjoyed listening to his scouting reports and what he had to say on these prospects coming out of the draft. But so far, he has not been what the Raiders hoped for in a GM. And the blame also has to be on Gruden because, yes, even though Gruden is listed as the head coach and Mayock is listed as the general manager, Gruden has, I feel like, just as much say as maybe only the owner, Davis, has more say than John Gruden. The Raiders front office and management coaching staff, they have to be better moving forward because that's another bad contract the the Raiders made. Ten years, $100 million to Gruden. Now that's not that's another bag that's another contract that the Raiders might regret sometime soon. The Raiders are really going to have to start hitting on dr- these premium draft picks and free agency. They're a de- they're actually a decent team. They have a tremendous offensive line. I don't think their car's the problem at all. They definitely have some weapons in Darren Waller and we'll see what Henry Ruggs turns out to be. That defense is atrocious though. That de- other than, what, Max Crosby? It's Max Crosby and who else? I mean, Clean Furl. Okay, he's fine. I think he's a nice player. But he was the fourth overall pick. When you're the fourth overall pick now through, what, his second year, I'm looking for more than just a nice player, especially when you have a guy like Josh Allen, the pass rusher Josh Allen, who went, you know, seventh overall, same position, and had double-digit sacks his first year, with the Jaguars. Now, obviously, second year, he may have taken a step back, but that's besides the point. The Raiders have to start hitting, not just in the middle rounds, in the first round. They have to start hitting throughout the draft. This They have too much, I feel like, talent, especially on the offensive side of the ball, to not, to be mediocre. With the When you look at the money they've had in years past, the draft picks they've had in years past, and oh yeah, they actually have a pretty good quarterback they should not have been stuck in mediocrity for as long as they have. And that falls on the coaching staff and the front office. Yeah. I, you can't argue with anything you said, Alex. I think, you know, a change in general manager may be coming soon for them. You know, they, they need to start hitting on these defensive draft picks. Cleveland Furl, it was a very skeptical pick at the time. Many people were like, you know... Very shocked. I know I was. And um, and you know no who I problem. didn't mention? I went on that whole like mini rant. You know who I didn't even mention? Who? Antonio Brown. They gave him all that guaranteed money, and he didn't play it. They gave up the third and the fifth round pick, which isn't a ton, but you know it's definitely something. And they and he did not play one single snap for them. And again, maybe the worst part of it. Is I just went on a couple minute, you know, minute or two, just blabbering on about that, and he didn't even come up. In and he didn't even come up. That just shows how the Raiders have mishandled such premium assets since Mayock took over. And again, I think Mayock is very is a very good draft analyst. And when he was with the NFL Network, I always enjoyed you know listening to him and you know just seeing what he thought of all these you know prospects coming out. But some, you know, some, you know, analysts are analysts for a reason. 
And maybe it's looking like Mayock was that at, at NFL Network. And I think we might be starting to see that now he is the GM of the Raiders. So, Shai, let's go to another trade that wasn't really talked about at all. But it's definitely something that I think is fairly significant. And that's Isaiah Wilson, the Titans' first-round pick from just from what, 11 months ago? It was 11 months ago when he was the Titans' first-round pick. He's being traded to the Miami Dolphins for a seventh-round pick in 2021, but Miami, I believe, is also getting a seventh-round pick in 2022 in the deal. I really like this trade for Miami. I mean, I guess what? You gave up a seventh-rounder, but you're also getting a seventh-rounder a year later, and I know Isaiah Wilson has had some off-the-field troubles. But when you're giving up a 7th round pick for a guy who's just one year removed, really 11 months removed, from being a 1st round pick, that's a risk that I think is worth taking. Especially when the Dolphins have a zillion picks in the first 6 rounds, and they have a ton of cap space. So they're not deprived of assets to begin with. So, you know, sometimes, you know, when you have these guys who possess talent but have had some issues, you you know, hey... you. Throw some darts at these guys, and I think that's what Miami did here. I really like this trade for the Dolphins. You get a guy who possesses first-round talent. You know, see if, you know, a culture that's has been really built up incredibly well by both Chris Greer, the general manager of the Dolphins, and Brian Flores, the head coach of the Dolphins. See if you can maybe get him into that culture and, you know, maybe try to clear his mind. Again, a fresh, fresh slate breath of fresh air, I think that could really benefit Wilson. If you're the Titans, obviously, you know, you don't want to have to do this with any first-round pick, you know, just a year later. But I don't think it sets them back that much. I still think that their biggest needs are pass rusher. I mean, they have to get a pass rusher. I think, you know, they cut Malcolm Butler. That was definitely not uh, stunning, but I think, you know, a little, maybe a little surprise, uh, surprising. But, uh, no, I, I kind of just, what are your thoughts on the deal? I really liked it for Miami. I think Tennessee has bigger needs even with this trade than off the tackle, so I, does, I don't think it sets them back too much. Yeah, I mean, we agree again. I think, uh, again, Zach, uh, I almost said Zach Wilson. Uh, Isaiah Wilson, this is a guy who was talented. You know, I thought he would be, you know, first round, maybe early second round guy coming in that draft class. And, you know, dude, there, you know, he didn't play much in Tennessee, and that could be because of his off-field issues. Maybe he got, you know, he didn't win the job. He didn't get many opportunities. So when you look at a guy who showed this talent and you're getting him, you know, for, you know, a bag of chips, essentially, it's it, it's certainly worth it. it the, the, this is a very low risk and potentially high reward. The Dolphins, I think, have a need at offensive tackle. It's not glaring. You know, it, 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 it's not a glaring need. But it's definitely something that they could address, you know, should, uh, you know, should they should they feel the need. So I think they, sh- they should probably have had depth there on that offensive line. Perhaps they'll draft a guy like Benny Sewell or possibly an, an offensive tackle in, with one of their first-round picks. But now you've got to get that depth. Maybe you kind of feel less pressure, depending on how you feel about your current tackles that they have 
Robert Hunt played uh, fairly well last year in his move to right from right guard to right tackle. Um, so I do like this move a lot for Miami, even if it's just a depth guy, because he can potentially develop into something more. Um, for Tennessee, I mean, it, it's just it just you know, it's the harsh reality of things. You know, they were going to cut him, and it's just tough toenails, I guess. It, 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 you never want this to happen with a player who's talented that you put your faith in. You know, with a first round draft choice, it's it's just uh, it's just unfortunate. Yeah. So hopefully for Wilson's sake, he can kind of regroup, rethink. Uh, hopefully, he's had some time to reflect. And, uh, you know, maybe he still has, he's still young. He still has plenty of time to have a successful NFL career. So, Shai, let's talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because they were all over the news this past weekend. Let's, I guess, kind of first just mention uh, Levante David signing a two-year, $25 million deal. I thought that was actually a really good deal for Tampa. Uh, I thought it was a good deal for both sides. Levante David, obviously, I think he could have gotten slightly more on the open market, but he's also a guy, he he seems to love Tampa, love playing alongside Devin White, you know, in that linebacking room. I This was, I think, Levante David and Tampa just seemed like a good fit, and the price, I think, was very, uh, I don't want to say very team-friendly, but I definitely think that he took maybe a slight hometown discount for the Buccaneers. So I really like this move for both sides, actually. Yeah, uh, I think that I was expecting Levante David to garner something in the, you know, possibly 14 to 15 million range, uh, potentially if he hit the open market. And again, maybe a short-term deal like this one, but again, it feels very kind of, you know, team-friendly. He want, he likes Tampa, he wants to come back. So I think, you know, it's a good move for both sides. Uh, you know, this is a guy where, you know, Tampa has cap space, but they're not, you know, they don't have a huge amount of it. And they have, they had three big-time free agents. They had Levante David, who's now no longer free agent, and brought him back. Chris Godwin, they franchise tag. And Shaq Barrett. So to kind of see him be the first one to sign was interesting, but to know it is a team-friendly deal is uh, very reassuring because... That money, uh, sh- I think we agree, should be going to Shaft Barrett as he's, I believe, uh, at the most valuable position there. He's young. I don't know where he... I think Chris Godwin is younger. I don't want to say he's the youngest. Uh, um, no, I'm, pre- I'm pretty certain Godwin. Godwin, I think, is 25, and I think Barrett's like 28. I think... No, I definitely think Godwin's the... I, I could be wrong, but Godwin's very young, and I think he is the youngest... I also want to say uh, Tom Brady signed a one-year extension. And what the Bucks did with both the David move and the Brady extension is they added voidable years. So it's a two-year, $25 million deal for Levante David. But the Buccaneers added three years to that deal that are voidable, which basically means they're just gonna, they just can take the salary cap hit and spread it over those five years. So it's going to be a very small cal- salary cap hit. For this upcoming season. Same with Brady. 
yes, you know, Brady signed an extension, one-year deal. He's locked into Tampa for two more years now instead of the one. But I believe they cleared $19 million with this move. And you know what, Shai? That $19 million is right in the ballpark of what Shaquille Barrett's going to make. So right now, the Bucks are, you know, not in a very healthy spot, but I believe one or two minor moves should put him in position to offer Shaquille Barrett around what he's probably asking for. And again, Barrett wants to be paid. He has been outspoken. But I also wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe he was he would be seeking twenty to twenty one million per year from one team. But if Tampa came in with an offer in the eighteen to nineteen, I could see him taking that. I agree with you, and we've talked about this numerous uh, amount of times. I thought they should have locked up Barrett first, and I know the franchise tag would have been a lot more expensive for Barrett than Godwin due to Barrett getting the tag last year. So it would be 120% of that salary when Godwin is like the average top three to five of his position. Or not, it's not top three to five. It's, I think, different. I think it's maybe what the. It's something different now, but. Um, it's kind of in that range, so I think his his was only about fourteen to sixteen million, when Barrett's would have been in like the twenty one million dollar range, but I still think Tampa, I still think they're gonna be able to sign Barrett, and Tampa's making moves. They're getting things done quickly. You know they franchise tagged Godwin. I was very uh, skeptical that they would be able to bring everyone back, but it seems like they will, and I think they're putting themselves in a very positive position in a very good position to possibly go back to back i'm not saying they will i'm not saying they will but i definitely think bringing these guys in who are very talented puts them in that type of position so oh sorry sorry did you want to add on to that no i just think i certainly agree i think this you know the anytime you win a super bowl i don't care who the players are your first priority should be, you know, bringing back the same ingredients, you know, for that recipe. So, got it. You think you think the Bucks should go all in on Leonard Fournette? That's what I. That was our main takeaway from that. I, I don't think it's a bad idea to resign him. I certainly don't. I think if there's if there's money to be spent, and you know, it's something obscene. No, don't you know? Not don't pay him. You know. 12 million a year to come back you know but i think if it's a re- fairly reasonable contract in the realm of maybe seven eight million a year i think that's i would not i think it, i would not be opposed and i in fact would probably support tampa Bay doing that yeah i, I was kind of just kind of messing with you there i know <laughs> so shy as you kind of wrap up the podcast is there any big things that you want to touch on whether it's players who were franchise tag that we didn't talk about or just any of the big free agents who are set to hit the open market as the legal tampering period opens monday at 12 p.m eastern time um i feel like we could talk about so much so many of these different moves that have been that have been made um i i really feel like it was only yesterday that Tampa Bay uh, was crowned the Super Bowl champs. It, it feels like really, you know, like it was last week, and, and it's remarkable. But I'm really looking forward, you know, to to this this free agency, this off season, and uh, 
hopefully another year of football uh, will be back before we know it. Yeah, so I wish it felt like that the Chi or that the Bucks had been crowned yesterday because for me it's felt a lot longer than it has. I think it, I'm the opposite. I feel I feel like it's been years. Wow. I think it's been years since uh, you know Tampa was running away against the Chiefs and Mahomes was getting you know completely destroyed. And speaking of that, I guess just kind of my last takeaway is the Chiefs cut two you know pretty big name offensive linemen and Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. Now obviously you know they saw what happened in the Super Bowl. They're not going to go in without making any moves along that offensive line, specifically at the tackle position. I really think they should go after Orlando Brown from the Ravens. Hey, you know what? That's a, your first-round pick's 31 overall. Offer your first-round pick. I think that gets a deal done. I actually think that would be a really good win-win for both sides. So my, I guess kind of my final thoughts is, yeah, offer your first-round pick for Orlando Brown. Upgrade the offensive line. Uh, those two moves surprised me. Mitchell Schwartz more than Eric Fisher, mainly because Fisher had one year on his deal left. You know, he was he had the torn Achilles in the AFC Championship game. So that late in the year, a torn Achilles, he was set to miss most, if not possibly all of next year. And again, he would have become a free agent anyway. So cutting Fisher made some sense. Schwartz definitely shocked me a lot more. I wasn't, you know, maybe I wasn't completely shocked, but I was definitely very surprised. So the Chiefs just kind of doing a whole remaking of that offensive line. So I think an Orlando Brown trade, I think, would be a perfect fit and a perfect avenue for the Chiefs to investigate. On that note, I think, like, let's not pretend that Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, you know, aren't, you know, great O-linemen. Oh, no, they are. They're very good uh, offensive linemen, and they're a big reason why the Chiefs won won the Super Bowl two years ago against the Niners. And who knows, maybe the Chiefs do beat the Bucs if those two guys are playing in the Super Bowl. Exactly. So I think, again, I, I would agree that the Eric Fisher one made some sense to me. But Mitchell Schwartz, one of the best right tackles in football. So I, I, I don't really understand that. Now you have two holes at tackle, along with several gaping holes on that defense, which you should be using your draft capital to address, given the fact that you don't have a ton of cap room because you know, you're paying a, all your big, most of your big contracts on the offensive side of the ball. And Chris so, Jones. There's Chris Jones on the defense side of the ball. And Chris Jones. So... Don't forget I about him. And Frank Clark. And Frank Clark. They have a solid defensive line, but that, that secondary, you know, that linebacking court needs to be upgraded heavily into the draft. And now you add two huge holes at tackle. I, I'm a little skeptical of where the Chiefs are going with this, but we shall see. I think an Orlando Brown trade would make some sense, but again, I'm not... You know, if it was up to me, I'd rather not have that issue of defense versus offensive line. Yeah, in my mock draft, I actually had the Chiefs taking a cornerback. And Shai, do you know where you can find my mock draft? On your website, Alex. Yeah, on sports.com. Net. Dot, dot, net, dot net. net. I was close. <laughs> close enough. Close enough. But no, I have my own. Uh, I have put up with uh, myself and a few others um, our own website, tiebreakersports.net. We cover all the major sports, football, baseball, basketball, hockey. We're also going to be covering some college sports as well, especially with the Mar- with March Madness and that tournament starting in just a week. So go ahead, check it out. We have something really for everyone. 
on that website. So we hope you enjoyed that website, and we hope in, and we hope you enjoyed this edition of NFL Game Time Podcast. Free agency is next week. We're both pumped. We hope you are too. We hope you enjoyed this edition of NFL Game Time Podcast, and we'll see you next time.